Women, you are the queens of our nation, the mother of our home, the pride of our children, a light always left on. You are refined in your ways, a woman of substance, substantially phased by her everyday conscience. A conscience to live in a way that uplifts not just her home, but the home of her brethren. Styled as a graceful woman on her throne, empowering lives to be filled with pride, hope, love, beauty, nourishment, soul, faith. Bring your ears closer now and your mind will explode and be inspired by the words of Cover Mode. Assalamu alaikum, hello and welcome to Cover Mode. I'm your host Rashan Isaacs. The Islamic Fashion and Design Council in partnership with Cover Mode on the Voice of the Cape Radio presents the Modest Fashion Emporium. And our topic today is the business of modest fashion. Joining me in studio is the IFDC South Africa team, Rushda Bihardin, the Relationship Manager, Mohammed Rawut, the IFAS Design Con- Council uh, consultant consultant he is the ifash design council <laughs> the ifash design consultant and besides being the host of this show cover mode i'm also the country manager for the ifdc here in south africa and again assalamu alaikum to both of you assalamu alaikum i'm rushan and listeners thank you for having me again you're going to say that every time <laughs> every time <laughs> assalamu alaikum rushan good to be back oh yes um you know, we, our topic today is the business of modest fashion. And I know that worldwide and globally, it's grown quite um, in, enormously uh, with billions being spent in that market. And not only in the Muslim market, but also in the mainstream markets in terms of consumers wanting more modest wear garments. And yes, we are very much influenced by the Western European standards of dressing, but modest wear is something that's always existed. And when we look at our businesses within South Africa, we look at how these businesses have been established, um, the problems that they've you know, undergone while trying to establish themselves. So, Mohammed, you, you, start, you started a business many years ago. Um, surely you had issues when starting up before really feeling like you were established. The fashion industry isn't really seen as a career in South Africa. That's what I found. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a crafty kind mm. of. So the institutions don't recognize fashion as a career when it comes to bursaries to study or even start up finance for mm-hmm. a business. Um, it's very much like a craft or it's seen as a home kind of industry. So we need to develop that a bit more. And that's so interesting because here in South Africa, we are highly skilled in crafts. And if businesses were to take off, that would be the start of, you know, the basis of why you're establishing your business. Now, Rishda, you've worked in the finance industry as well for a very long time, and you've also met with a lot of these small businesses. Or now, in your new position, you've also had to deal with a lot of small businesses within the fashion industry and helping them establish. What has been your experience? Um, I agree with Mohammed that uh, because fashion is not really uh, regarded as a formal industry um, or a fashion designer is not regarded as a professional, um, a lot of these startup businesses are regarded as as home-based businesses. And um, 
I think what is really required is education and workshops to be able to assist anybody. They generally start out as home-based businesses with studios operating from the home. But the, in terms of growing the business, um, there's, there's a serious lack of education around um, the financial aspects of having a business, the operational um, aspects of it, um, and growth and strategic planning. So those are skills that, that need to be honed with home-based businesses because as a fashion designer, you start with your creativity. That's mm -hmm. your intellectual capital. Um, and you need to grow on that in terms of your other skills um, to be able to take your business forward. That is very true. Well said. <laughs> and when we look at businesses that have started globally and also s somehow sat in, in this predicament in terms of, you know, getting that kind of support. In 2011, when Kareem Tari launched the modest fashion retail modernisa.com, he had to pay cash to get their first line of clothing made according to Islamic specifications. It was summertime and everyone was going with short sleeves and mini skirts, he told uh, Salam Gateway. We convinced mainstream people to produce clothing based on the rules of Islam. We paid cash to produce the stuff. We took the risk. They had to change their production line to cater to the needs of the modest fashion. But when the second season came around, those manufacturers were already getting ready and making and tuning in to the consumer demand for Islamic products. They did it once and saw that there was a market for it. And then Therese says that for the next season, they started producing on their own. So it, it really takes a risk at the beginning. And it's difficult to get the buy-in of, you know, sort of your out, outside or bigger businesses as well to support you. Then according to the State of the Global Islamic Economy in 2015-2016 report, Muslim consumers spend on um, spending on clothing hit the $230 billion mark worldwide in 2014, accounting for 11% of global expenditure with a growth rate of 3.8% over 2013. And companies like Modernisa are increasingly setting the standards for the way modest fashion companies do business, manage human resource, raise and deploy finance, and choose vendors and partners. Here in South Africa, we have many small businesses catering to the needs of this market, and we have more businesses and entrepreneurs expanding their businesses or newly entering that market. Supporting the Modest Fashion Emporium, which is, will be held at the end of this month, the 30th and 31st of uh, July at the, um, at the Convention Center in Cape Town, um, hosted by the IFDC South Africa in partnership with Cover Mode on the Voice of the Cape Radio, is APSA Bank. And I have joining us on the line Bernie Berkowitz, the regional manager of APSA Bank in the Western Cape. Hello and welcome to Cover Mode, Bernie. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. How are you today? Very well, thank you. That's great. Now, Bernie, I know you've been listening to us as well, and um, mm. it might be an earful for you at that point. But, you know, what are the common problems that SMEs face when establishing a business? I think some of the, I think I believe some of the issues or discussions uh, with the previous caller speaks to, 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 to what the challenges the SMEs have. And it's a marred if you look at the current failure rate of SMEs in the first thousand days, uh, which is about three years, three percent of the progress uh, there on. So the contributing factors from access to market, 
lack of funding, um, and of course, how do we upskill the business acumen component? So, I think contributing factors. I always use the analogy that the plumber won't fail, mm. which is a bad plumber. Plumber, you'll fail because of market conditions or business-related issues. True. So, how does APSA then assist um, SMEs? We do that in a mind of, of, of ways. I think is how do we help SMEs to become more established and of course to thrive in a complex environment because being an entrepreneur is not an easy uh, task. Uh, it is objective for, for SMEs out there. So we've adopted a multi-dimensional approach that offers both financial, which speaks to the lending, and more importantly, the non-financial support to SMEs to assist them with their challenges. And we do that in through, uh, through pillars, uh, namely access to funding, and that really speaks to our generic uh, funding platform. How do we provide funding to suppliers, unsecured, based on the strength of the uh, cash flow cycle? And then, of course, the access to markets, which is critical, because out the market, you can't uh, sustain your business. So how do we support businesses to gain access to that market? And of course, non-financial support, uh, which I and we believe is a critical component to uh, building a sustainable SME. Because really that non-financial support is what helps them establish a, a sound business or, or work towards a successful business. That's correct. That's correct. And SME, and I've heard passion used a couple of times, and SMEs are a passion for what they do and what they love. Sometimes that specific SME won't have a passion for the numbers, for marketing, for business administration. And those are the type of facets that we need to support the business. So yes, your passion is great, that drives the business, but you need these other fundamentals plugged so that, of course, you might any details if anything does happen down the line, at least cover those aspects. Right. Uh, Bernie, we have, uh, Rushta is our, uh, the IFDC, the Islamic Fashion Design Council's um, relationship manager, and she had a question on the side here for you. Um, hi, Bernie. Um, uh, my question relates around, um, you know, when you're providing funding for SMEs, um, you obviously take into account the sustainability of the business. But um, in South Africa, fashion has not really been viewed as a very sustainable business. And as Mohammed said, it's not regarded as a career option. Um, how are you placed um, to fund to the fashion industry specifically as SMMEs? I think from a, from a funding perspective and from a business perspective, specifically Western Cape, where fashion and seamstress and clothing textiles has been a big part of the Western Cape economy. Mm. Uh, I made mention of a number and, and I think of $230 billion. So one would need to understand what is the market in South Africa. Uh, mm. And I would resume in the Western Cape, we've got quite a high target uh, spend in that space. Yes. Okay. So to answer your question in short, is how do we look at the existing business, what we like to call the jockey, uh, what is the track record uh, product? And of course, based on, on, on their projection, how do we take a calculated risk on that business and invest in that business? Either we do it on our own, or we'll syndicate the loan with our partners, being PTI, NEF, and so forth. 
Okay, so there are avenues for, let's say, startup businesses who don't necessarily have um, projections or history for you to go on, but there are avenues where they could use DTI funding and, and partners in that way? That's correct. So we've got a specific SME fund that goes up to $3 million. Okay. Unsecured, and that fund is specifically generated or geared towards entrepreneurs, other startups, or existing that's wanting to, to, to expand. I think one thing I need to reiterate is that the business modeling needs to be uh, on point with of regards course. to getting an understanding of what your cash flows are, market analysis, etc. Of course, and that's obviously in the planning phase when you put your business plan together and you can understand your market. Thank you, Bernie. I guess that non-financial support prior to actually going for the financial support would be crucial then so that one understands the whole, you know, requirement. Um, And and that goes to my next question is who qualifies for assistance? So from an absolute perspective, uh, our offering is open to market, so there's no requirement to be an absolute client. The only time that we would insist on that is once we get into a lending relationship. So, of course, we can mitigate the risk and understand the cash flows from the supplier that we would then require the SME to bank with ourselves. And then uh, what do SMMEs need to know when applying for funds or loans? Because, I, 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 you know, there's usually forms and forms and forms <laughs> and, and half yeah. the words they don't quite understand and they, they, they often forget to read the fine print. Yes. So from, from an asset perspective, I think most bank, uh, from a bank's perspective, is compliant. So we need to have a thorough understanding of affordability. And that affordability document is normally done in one or two documents. So our requirement is normally a business plan or business case. And of course, then there's about two or three documents that talks to cash flow, talks to double check the solvency of the company. And I think before we even get in there, sometimes in the due diligence, SMEs miss the space. Do they actually really need bank funding uh, with regard yeah. to what they're wanting to do? Or can they start the business off on a, on a platform that will allow them to grow over time organically? So it also depends on where and what the SME is wanting to do with the funding. But I think the documentation process is a process, but it's part of the due diligence process for the SME to have an understanding uh, with regard to the business and how they're going to utilize that money. All right, and then just a reminder to our listeners that we are chatting to Bernie. He's the regional manager at the Western Cape for APSA. Um, in studio, we have Rushda Bihardin, the uh, relationship manager for the IFDC South Africa, and then also Mohamed Rawut, the IFASH design consultant for the, uh, for the IFDC South Africa. Mohamed, you had a question just based on, you know, the, the discussion now that um, Bernie picked up on, on the documents that one needs to fill in. That's correct. Um, as a creative myself, um, I, f- I just see red tape when I see all these <laughs> forms. Um, do you have people that assist um, people like myself, perhaps, to um, fill out these documents and guide us into w- what's required as a basic criteria for, for applying for finance? Yes, uh, from, from a bank perspective, we've got enterprise development centers where these consultants so we will assist you through the process of application. 
However, the cash flow projection component, we will, we will assist as far as we can with regard to formatting, and I agree with you 100%. We'll come back to concept of land recently, right brain and left brain. We are right brain being your creative <laughs> side and the left being more on the technical side. And we deal with the marital of clients. And what to me, or what we believe is critical, is that the SME, even though it's difficult, has a grasp of what is transpiring with regard to the financials of the company. And in that interim process, we will hold the end of the company uh, within our uh, enterprise development centers. Okay. I just yeah. want to know how does... Before you go into okay. the next question, <laughs> Mohamed, um, Bernie, we're going to a break. Please stay on the line and we'll pick up on the conversation thereafter. Styled as a graceful woman on her throne, empowering lives to be filled with pride, hope, love, beauty, nourishment, soul, and faith. This is Cover Mode. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Cover Mode. I'm your host, Rashan Isaacs, and we have Bernie Berkowitz, the regional manager of APSA Bank in the Western Cape, on the line. And um, they're supporting the Modest Fashion Emporium, hosted by the IFDC South Africa in partnership with Cover Mode on the Voice of the Cape Radio. Bernie, uh, I think, Mohammed, you had one more question to ask? Yeah, I just wanted to know how does APSA view the fashion industry as in terms of, of, a, of a career option or to grow a business? I think just based on, on the numbers and what the, the organizers initially shared with us, I think Rishana touched on, I think, $220 billion industry. So uh, at a percentage of, of that, uh, I see that as a huge opportunity. All right. So if, uh, if the Islamic Fashion and Design Council, for example, came to APSA and brought statistics in terms of the who this community is and um, the designers that exist in those communities because a lot of the designers that cater to the modest fashion industry don't get into retail because you know mainstream is often the you know the sort of the 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 block or the stumbling block because they don't see modest fashion as part of the mainstream fashion and that's a discussion that i also plan to pick up with the world islamic economic forum in august um as a speaker in terms of whether all, um islamic fashion can become auto couture but yeah based on on our south african market yes there is a huge market and we do have statistics for that in terms of where they spend is and what kinds of you know retail cards they use or have, but you, these are usually usually the people that will buy at ten different um, retailers in order to get one garment. And outside of the Muslim market, there is a huge uh, factor that plays on modest wear, being you know people who prefer to dress conservatively, being people who are from the Christian or the the Jewish uh, faith. Or even um, age sometimes plays a factor. Uh, is you know we want to cover up more as we as we um, get older. But um, going back to the sort of the business of a modest fashion, do you have any examples of um, general just SMEs that you've assisted and their success stories? Because obviously, if, if anyone's going to come to us for assistance, um, they need to know that there have been or there is success stories or uh, markets that you work in. I think from a success story, there's a wider array. We work in all sectors, mm -hmm. across all industries. 
Uh, we formed strategic alliances with key uh, role players as well in markets. So we've got a strategic non-financial support uh, relationship or alliance with uh, Stellenbosch University. Uh, that's a 12-month program. And then we've got one with the uh, University of the Western Cape as well. That's also a 12-month program. And that speaks to, really speaks to our non-financial support component. And from a funding uh, element, we granted on top of my head, I think last year nationally, 520 million, of which uh, about 163 million was uh, Western Cape's portion that we borrowed to SMEs across all sectors, construction. Uh, I can't pick up one indirectly in the fashion industry per se, but it's across all sectors uh, that we've touched uh, come, I think it was 2015, yeah, 2015 last year. Um, Bernie, um, in terms of the non-financial support that you're referring to, um, how does that play out in the fashion industry? So non-financial support, and you asked a question earlier, what is our interest in the modest fashion emporium? And what kept me was, number one, entrepreneurship. That's key for me. Uh, and then, of course, was a sector as well that we weren't uh, too afraid with with regard to uh, a market like a construction industry and so forth. But coming back to my earlier point, it's about entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship, irrespective of your, your, your sector, it's the drive and passion of that entrepreneur, number one, to build a sustainable, a sustainable business and profitable, and of course, to grow and expand that business uh, beyond one or two or three employees. And that is where we'll come on and assist that entrepreneur to develop and grow that business. All right, thanks, Bernie. Bernie, what is the best way for SMEs to contact um, APSA? if they are interested in, in getting more details or how they can um, get involved in the workshops or get the non-financial support. Um, yeah. I'm more than welcome in contact uh, by email. It's ed at apsa.co.za. ED or? E for ED, D for domino at apsa.co.za. All right. Thank you so much, Bernie, for joining us on a cover thank mode. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll probably follow up with you again in, uh, in another uh, edition of, of um, cover mode. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bernie. Always. Bye-bye. Bye. Modern Nisa, and I, I want to go back to that because um, they were the ones who started um, the uh, e- e-commerce site um, and grew to, I think they, they receive about 10 million visitors now to their website. They have an extensive checklist of about 20 to 25 items for producers. And Turi says that some of which are similar to mainstream production codes, but they also have their own specific needs and codes for Muslim-friendly fashion. So it's not always... <coughs> Sorry, it's not always um, basing or um, targeting your Muslim consumers or your Muslim designers, but it's also targeting your mainstream designers to cater for the modest consumer. Turi also enjoyed an early advantage in being funded by investors whose ethics matched his own. And um, some of those investors then put in about a $1 million in the first year and then $2 million at a later time. So surely it was only at the point of them seeing growth. And I think this is what Rushta, I don't know, I can't recall whether we spoke about this off air or on air, is that you really have to take the risk. Um, you know, it, 
fashion the fashion industry is is not yet widely accepted as a um formal means of you know <laughs> uh <laughs> bringing in a career as uh, Muhammad also mentioned but it is slowly becoming um more of an awareness and and that awareness i think comes from unfortunately comes from the actual designers or from councils like the IFDC to bring those statistics to the fore and um, to showcase that it e- does exist and that consumer demand is there. And the reason why our um, bigger businesses or investors don't see this is because those very consumers are not buying at your retail stores, are not buying at the places where you can get those statistics quite readily or freely. They're buying at the small boutiques, at the house uh, boutiques. That is where they're buying and that is where they are spending. And that is why our local designers have been successful, but successful to a small extent. Yeah, um, I agree. But if you look at it, um, on the other hand, if you're wanting to expand and you're wanting to grow, you will have that um, information at your fingertips. So you, um, you know, most home boutiques and um, studios start off with the designer taking the risk. And I think we spoke about it, Ophi, where they have to inject their own cash and their own capital in. Um, and it goes back to what Bernie said, is that they require some sort of history um, and they want to know um, how good you are as a business person before they'd be able to support mm-hmm. you financially. Um, so for you to be able to uh, provide that kind of comfort to a financial institution, they would require you to say, this is my market, um, my access to the market, and these are my clients. And these are the kinds of clients that we've we've had. Um, so, um, yeah, I think the responsibility also rests on the entrepreneur to be able to keep track of the market and information that they can use if they want to apply for finance. And again, it's having that access to the market, not only access to the market, but also access to research. Yeah, because absolutely. in order to prove that this can work or that, you know, or have a history, you would have you would need to have um, your research statistics available. Let's cross to a break and then we'll pick up from there. Thank you. Styled as a graceful woman on her throne, empowering lives to be filled with pride, hope, love, beauty, nourishment, soul, and faith. This is Cover Mode. Yes, you're listening to Cover Mode on 91.3 FM on Voice of the Cape radio station. And I have in the studio with me Rushda Biharding, the uh, relationship manager of the IFDC South Africa, and then also Mohamed Rawut, the IFASH design con- consultant of the IFDC South Africa. So, Mohamed, uh, Rushda, um, we have the Modest Fashion Emporium approaching us very soon and um, you know for me it's an exciting part of our first sort of um, small but a small start to I think bigger things to come from the modest wear industry and uh, with the Modest Fashion Emporium we will be showcasing at least 21 vendors all catering to the lifestyle the needs of the modest 
fashionista, if I may say so. And then we'll also be hosting a uh, fashion show. And in that fashion show, we'll be showing you some styling techniques as well as uh, scarf styling because we also have Shahida Sali and then Manar, uh, who's originally from Jordan but stays in Johannesburg, who will also be coming down to the Modest Fashion Emporium to share with you the beauty of covering. And uh, I don't know if you want to mention some of our, our um, vendors as well. Um, once again, like Suri's Boutique, which caters also for uh, small all the way to um, adult. And then your make a statement, stunning jewelry, your pleasures. And then many of our um, stores as well, like Precious Rose and um, La Lady Belle and yeah. La Classique. And there are so many to mention. I'm so excited to be introducing you to them at the uh, Modest Fashion Emporium. But just back to our final words on the business of modest fashion. And uh, final words from uh, Rushda and from Muhammad. Just on where do you see the business of modest fashion going in South Africa? I think with the right support, um, which is something we aim to do through the IFDC, um, I can see it growing. Um, I do see that um, it might be able to get to cross the divide into retail um, if we just do it properly. There are already some um, modest uh, fashion designers who have opened their own boutiques. And since not everybody has access to that, there could be collaborations. Um, and that's probably the way to go. But the most important thing would be to upskill yourself in terms of business and operational and strategic and marketing aspects of the business. Um, the IFDC has definitely identified uh, th that there's a big gap in the market, not only in the clothing industry, but the modest fashion industry and then definitely in the business side of, uh, of, the, of fashion because the, the designers concentrate more on the creativity but mm -hmm. the business aspect is also a big deal if if you want to grow the business further and i love the fact that we are at the pulse of what is happening within those industries so who better to be placed at really driving um this industry to the next level inshallah. Yeah, absolutely inshallah. The world's fashion industry can no longer underestimate the growth of Islamic fashion. And in 2013 alone, Muslims spent $266 billion on clothing, which is more than the total spending of Japan and Italy combined. With an expected global spend of $484 billion by 2019, and this is worldwide, can Islamic fashion become haute couture? This may be an interesting question for many designers, both Muslims and non-Muslims alike. The 12th World Islamic Economic Forum in Jakarta will explore the challenges and opportunities for Islamic fashion to enter the mainstream fashion scene. And I have the pleasure of representing the Islamic Fashion and Design Council South Africa as its country manager, as the moderator for the WIEF's panel discussion entitled, Can Islamic Fashion Become Haute Couture? And then just on, uh, to let you know who will be on that panel, the panel will include Faduma Aden, the chief executive officer and founder of Jamila, Scandinavian Cool, and conservative chic in Sweden, and then also Barbara Nicolini, the columnist for Vanity Fair and fashion consultant for Gruppo Sant'Agostino in Italy, and then also Didiet Molana, fashion designer in Indonesia. The business of modest fashion has become a widely talked about subject. 
The IFDC South Africa, in partnership with Cover Mode on the Voice of the Cape Radio, are proud to support our local small businesses and entrepreneurs with a modest fashion emporium to be held on the 30th and 31st July at the Factory Shop Expo at the Cape Town Convention Center. So we do urge you and we do welcome you to attend and really explore and experience the beauty of the modest fashion industry. So my guests, Muhammad and uh, Rushda, assalamu alaikum and shukran for joining me once again. Wa alaikum salam. Wa alaikum salam, Rishan. And from me, Rishan Isaacs for Cover Mode, assalamu alaikum.